This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. John Phipps has been around farming and ag broadcasting for just about his entire life. He continues to write and broadcast on many topics of importance in the industry, and some of his recent writings have focused on the changing economics in the ag industry, including topics like inputs, inflation, taxes, and how those factors will impact us in the short and long term. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. If you ask farmers what their greatest concern is this year, they will likely say rising nitrogen prices. For our farm, higher nitrogen prices and our desire to increase bushels with more sustainable farming methods led me to Pivot Bioproven 40, which can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio. I hope you'll learn more. Just go to pivotbio.com. If you've ever watched U.S. Farm Report or read Farm Journal or Top Producer Magazine, you've seen the work of John Phipps. Although John says he's retired, he's very astute to the changes in the industry and often brings underreported views to the forefront. I find that John will give you some ideas that you perhaps had not considered. And on this edition of our show, we tackle topics like inflation, input prices, taxation, and more, and how the current economy will impact us in the short and long term. Here's our conversation. John Phipps is my guest. You will know John having been on U.S. Farm Report for many years and many different outlets writing for Farm Journal Magazine and other publications in the family as well. John, I appreciate you being with me and I understand that uh, you are snowed in right now. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've got a trapped audience here. I don't, I, I've got nowhere to go and nothing to do. So this works out fine for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've been around ag broadcasting and certainly farming really all of your life. So I'm interested as we look at this farm economy right now, certainly we sit at a point where, you know, we have in some cases record high prices or very high prices, not only for commodities, but also for the inputs, but yet we have very low interest rates. Do you recall a time seeing the economy shaping up quite like this for farmers or is this unique? Well, from what we've seen? not at all. Even, you know, I, I think the one that might have uh, come close was 73, 74. Uh, Southern corn blight killed the corn crop. Uh, prices went through the roof uh, for a couple of years, but it was, it was very brief. But I remember I was in the Navy at that time, but all my friends who were my age had graduated from ag college and come back. They talked about that like it was the golden era. You could just see their eyes glaze over they talked about going in and putting their name on a list to buy a new tractor. Uh, at, at the time, that would be a, it would have been a 4020, maybe. A, I don't know what the 4430s are out, but we had a local John Deere dealer. And he said, I was so excited because when I got in there, I was, I was fifth on the list to get a new tractor. But and so it wasn't a question of haggling about it. But you're talking about corn jumping from, I think, like a buck and a half to $3. So it was... It was just phenomenal. 
But that was very short-lived. The other good periods that we have seen, um, uh, in 2008 to 12, uh, as we went through the ethanol buildup, those were awfully good too. But uh, I've never seen the combination of borrowing long-term money around 2%. I'm not, you know, you could refinance your mortgage and uh, it, it was just ridiculous what you could uh, borrow money for. And then up until last summer about, uh, you, inputs were were terrible, but they always the terrible is the lowest or the best they ever get. They're they're always way too high priced. But the idea that we just hit a new record of fifteen hundred dollars for anhydrous, this is something I think. Uh, even if you sit down and figure out what does that mean in terms of uh, net farm income, uh, farmers can look at those numbers. But the sheer staggering difference between paying five hundred dollars for anhydrous two years ago. And three times that uh, now, that I think is what is setting the tone that we're seeing some surveys come back that farmers are are dubious or, or aren't upbeat about the economy and they aren't upbeat about uh, the future. When mm-hmm. frankly, last year was my last year on Schedule F. I, uh, Aaron farms all the ground. I'm just a greedy landlord now, but. I can't imagine going out on a better year. It was just astonishing uh, the amount of money that uh, was in farming that I've never seen anything like it. Right. Well, certainly last year was in a sense the year to make the money because the input prices were still relatively low compared to the crop prices. But now the input prices are, as you mentioned, much higher when you look at anhydrous and things. How I'm going to use the word concerned. How concerned should we be about inflation? A region, you know, originally we heard, well, this is just going to be temporary, but we've certainly been in this for a while. Certainly, COVID and supply chains and all these types of things have something to do with that. But what do you feel as far as this inflation and how far, how long these prices may stay there? Or are we just going to be at a new plateau? This is where they will be. Well, you got to remember, we spent over 20 years trying to get the two percent. Uh, we had a couple brief you know, uh, years above three or something like that. But really, uh, it's been astonishing how we've done without inflation ever since uh, Volcker you know, killed it, along with much of the economy, back during the Reagan era. So a, a lot of this is perspective. Those of us who have paid um, or, or, or were there for 10 or 12 percent inflation per year, maybe that influences us into thinking that 3% is terrible. I still am of the the thinking, and maybe it's just because I don't, I begrudge my, uh, I don't want to change my mind. And that that's, happens at, at a certain point in your life, but that this is somewhat transitory, that uh, right now, if you look at bonds rates, especially the spread between the 10 and the two, if you look at uh, Federal Reserve governors with the way they're voting, their thinking is that this year, a year on year, not month to my month, uh, it w- will be somewhere in the three to three and a half, and the 23 will be back two to three. And from my point of view, that's virtually no, no inflation at all. The other problem with getting excited about inflation is that it's an average of everything people buy. Now, it, it, they do calculate it slightly different for the CPI, 
consumer product index and for the personal consumption for expenditures, uh, the, the two of them. But if you're not putting a kid through college or buying a home or you're not uh, struggling with medical expenses, uh, your inflation rate isn't the headline inflation rate. Those are the things that are really driving things. Now, granted, some goods and services have gone up, but uh, there are, you could go online and, and uh, get some personal uh, index or inflation figures. And I did that a couple uh, days ago for an article I'm writing for a top producer, and mine was 0.8% because you know, I'm on Medicare, which makes a big difference. Uh, I'm not buying, my house is paid for until housing. And those are the big things that really affect. And while they are uh, inflating, uh, not all of us are exposed to it. So everybody needs to kind of take a look at what is it that we're buying and how fast are those prices jumping? And so uh, if you don't need a used car, now's, now's not the time to think, well, Let's just do it for the fun of it. This is that's just how that works. So, I'm of the I'm not quite as uh, I guess bullish on inflation. I still think that it'll will have this spike, but I think there's also a good chance the economy could slow down again, uh, simply because of the Omicron second wave. And now we're seeing this BA two variant, just what we need. You know, one of your articles that you recently wrote. I believe it was in Farm Journal was uh, about it's it's more about owning than working now. Have we seen as this economy has changed over the last, you know, we go back several years, even a couple of decades, are we really seeing a fundamental shift in who has some of that land, who has some of that money and a, a bigger difference between uh, classes in the U.S.? Do you believe that's what you, you wrote about? Well, what I was pointing out or dealing with was how uh, the difference, the split between asset income, income you get from owning stuff, uh, whether it's stock market or it's farmland, and the income you get from going going to a job and you get uh, a W-2. And it it's slowly, um, discernibly or detectably, but it is slowly shifting. It used to be two thirds of America's income uh, was wage income, but uh, between the fact that uh, you know capital gains are twenty percent, and meanwhile, uh, at, at, meanwhile you can get up into the thirty seven thirty nine percent bracket with income taxes. A lot of businesses and a lot of people who make a lot of money have found ways to make that look like capital or asset income. And it's either stock options or they just get it from owning a bazillion shares of something and it goes up $2. So they've got $2 bazillion. And that's where more and more of our income is coming from. Is The problem with this uh, is, A, it indicates that our, our taxation system probably needs to take a harder look at how we do that, um, but or how we extract taxes if we're going to tax. But also, uh, it, I think it changes how we, uh, what we tell our children or our outlook to the future that, okay, if I go to work, show up every day, do what I'm told. That's uh, how I, I can build a successful future. More and more people are thinking, 
No, what I've got to do is uh, buy uh, some sh of shares of a meme stock, you know, some GameStop, because that's how you make a lot of money to have when you when you need it. And, and that's it's changed the fundamental, I think, American dream from work hard, uh, save and you'll be OK. That still can work. But more and more people, and here's an interesting number, 40% of Americans count on A, winning the lottery, B, winning a injury lawsuit, or C, an unexpected inheritance, 40% of Americans, that's part of their retirement plan. So people are figuring out, how, they look and see how a lot uh, the wealthy have their, got their money, and it, was by, it wasn't by showing up every day necessarily they still got paid very well for doing that but it was from owning stuff and the value of the staff stuff goes up and so they make money that way one of the things that you wrote about and and certainly you can see this in not only different publications but i know one of the books that you recommended last year on your reading list was the deficit myth which uh, begins to talk about this is is that you know, we're marching to a wealth distribution more lopsided than any since uh, ancient Rome is what uh, you wrote here. How concerned should we be about wealth distribution? Because are we getting to a point, you mentioned looking at different tax structures, uh, you and I aren't in Congress, we don't have a say in that, but uh, is it something that this country is going to have to wrestle with because we are earning more income from these investments like you spoke of? Well, I think so, but you know, it you can come into all kinds with all kinds of moral arguments about wealth distribution and and uh, wealth redistribution is just a trigger word for all kinds of people. But my problem is not from uh, whether this is right or wrong or good or bad. You can reach that conclusion for yourself. But my problem is things don't work if you don't have the people who buy things. Uh, with a significant portion of the national income, then giving it to rich people who, while they buy some things, you can only have so many yachts and cars. Uh, people who have to go out and spend 90% of their income or even 110, that can happen, of your income on food and uh, consumer goods, that's what drives our economy. When we talk about 70% of our economy is consumer spending, it's spending on stuff that people need for their everyday life. As money gets tied up, all, as wealth gets tied up in a stock market, in land, in farmland, uh, you know, we just have hysterical prices there too, then it's not being circulated through the people who spend a lot. Now, I, it, the moral implications I'll leave to others, but we're finding out that our economic system breaks down because uh, it doesn't break down, but at least does not work as well if you don't have the spenders with the money, with the income. If you have the savers with the income, uh, and that it showed up with the uh, the pandemic aid that the government gave people, we said, well, we'll do this and, and it'll keep money or it'll keep money in the economy and keep businesses open. No, people saved it. They were scared to death. They stashed $3 trillion away and it, it helped some, but a large portion of, the, of that massive government aid never did get into the, the hands of uh, plumbers and retailers and even Amazon. It just got stuck in a bank somewhere, and which there's nothing wrong with that, but our economy is built such that we require uh, a large portion of the national income to be going through people who spend it. 
and other people because that's everything everything that people spend spending's not a bad thing because spending is the other half of earning uh, something that I spend is something that somebody else earns that's their sales once we come through this this period of, of COVID, whenever that is, and maybe things get back to whatever we'll put in quotes as as more normal, how do you think that the the ag economy has fundamentally changed, or or has it? Are there some things that have changed and will perhaps never reverse? It'll take a long time to reverse, or do we revert back to where we were three and four years ago? Do you think? Oh, well, I, the things that will change, I think, are are not ag specific. Uh, I I've always been looking at looking for a future and i've written about this i just read too much science fiction about ag ag would soon be all robots farming gigantic farms and i've run into some just you know blatantly obvious things that simply i never crossed my mind uh and one of them is land ownership our land ownership in order to put together for instance a massive uh, massive uh, chunk of farmland, uh, it's virtually impossible because it's all uh, owned by a lot of individuals and they then uh, die and bequeath it to four more individuals. It's really hard to, to uh, get ground to accumulate and move it together, especially if it's anywhere close to each other. And so I don't think you're not going to see you can see large farmer farm operations, but I think there's a, a physical limit to covering 60 miles and getting the job done that that runs into its own uh, natural limit where you're just renting ground. Owning ground, it's virtually impossible to put together that 20,000 acre farm in one limited or one uh, reasonable spot. So all these dreams, or not dreams, but predictions we've seen about Oh, farming's all going to be large farmers. None of them have ever come true in my lifetime. We have the same number of farmers in my township as we had a hundred years ago. It's just, or I'm, I'm sorry, the same number of fields. Uh, I They published two plat books uh, celebrating the centennial, and I just counted a number of fields. So there's no uh, consolidation of land. Without consolidation of land, it's really hard to consolidate farmers uh, very much. Now, we're seeing... Uh, some change, very little change in the total number of farmers. We're seeing some changes and you won't have many farmers below a thousand. You'll have a bunch more between a thousand to three or something like that. And then a handful of guys really big. And those I'm just making some are coming close to some of the stuff I've read there. I, those aren't terribly accurate. So my predictions are the things that will change are the same things that will change for my son living in, in uh, near Philadelphia. We'll order more stuff from Amazon. We're really comfortable with getting something other than Chinese food from takeout, although that is my favorite. But uh, it, so all the things, our consumer habits will change, but they'll be similar to what happens for all the citizens. I don't think there are any farmer specific changes other than uh, we are, we're figuring out how to buy and sell stuff that I never thought. And you need to talk to machine repeat because online auctions have taken over. So that, that's one of the changes that I don't think will ever go back, that you'll, the way you look for used tractors, go online or go to an online auction. And either that or if you'll have a buddy who's lives 200 miles away next to where this tractor is. You tell him to go take a look at it. And then with that, you go from there. But 
uh, Machine Repeat, uh, we talked about that uh, on, on his podcast, and he, he can't see it ever going back. That's one thing that truly will change. But I've stopped, you know, making trips to Home Depot to get some kind of left-handed bolt that it's just because the supply chain makes it so dicey whether they actually got it in, uh, in inventory, even if you check online, I just go to Amazon, two days later, I've got it. And that is changing. When the Amazon truck stops every day, you know that something's changed. Those are the things in rural America that might change, but as far as the actual business of farming, not a lot. Uh, it may be difficult, uh, the locale, the location of some uh, of the things we purchase, like machinery, may matter less, and it may be tougher for salesmen. I think the, the idea of a salesman you know, of any kind is going to get tougher and tougher. Do you think that farmers and those in agriculture will have to look differently at how they are marketing and selling what they have in this era of, you know, the truck stops from Amazon every day at different people's houses. How does that impact what farmers are, are selling or does it fundamentally change what they're doing? I, I can't see it. You know, we're, we just we're marketing exactly the same thing I did when I started 50 years ago. So, you know, corn is corn, so to speak. But uh, and that system is established, dominated by a handful of people. Uh, or a handful of companies, rather, and, you know, you Cargill, ADM, et cetera. And there, unless they have some fun, fundamental shakeup, unless a new player, and I can't imagine how that would be, comes in, how I market uh, probably won't happen. Besides, I have seen, I'll bet, a hundred great marketing ideas come and go, and it still gets down to me and an elevator six miles from here. Given all that, are you still bullish though on the ag economy and the opportunities for farmers, regardless of, of what age they might be and how long they've been in the, in the uh, industry now? I'm bullish on agriculture. I, the, the ag economy, you have to remember, isn't necessarily dependent on ag income. Uh, we know that over half of farms in any given year don't make any money. And uh, they, the, the wealth or the income that they have comes from a nurse or a teacher around here. Uh, marrying a nurse is, is the gold mine. But uh, we know that farmers are literally willing to pay to do the things that farmers do, to live the way we do, to do the kind of work we do. So I think that will continue, that we will continue to bid up um, to get ground to stay in the game. And as long as we're willing to always push it right up to the limit, and there's another guy next to you who will push it slightly beyond that, why we are not going to, uh, it, it, if you want to say that's a bullish future, yeah, I am bullish. I think it'll be exactly, uh, or I mean, the, the same uh, scraping for profit will be the same all the way through. Because really, uh, we have gotten, farmers have become a pipe it's a way that that John Deere gets money from Cargill, and we're just the pipe between those two things. They are, and because we're dealing with uh, very concentrated industries on both ends, uh, we don't have a whole lot of leverage to change that. John, I appreciate the time. As always, enjoy uh, reading what you have to write, and also I enjoy your your book selections. I, if people don't know about that, you also offer some good book uh, ideas for reading. 
Oh yeah, I, well, it, uh, I uh, Sarah asked me to add that and book reviews. So I've been reading some weird stuff and uh, try to get a kind of a cross section. I've got a great science fiction book that everybody should read that I'll be talking about next time. Great. Well, John, thanks again. You bet. I mentioned John's book reviews at the end of our interview. I found he will give you several great ideas. I know I've enjoyed some of the books he suggested, and of course you can see John's work on TV and print just about every week. That's it for this edition of our show. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com. In fact, you can scroll back and hear broadcasts from day one, and I found that many of our topics are still very relevant weeks and months later. The feedback I get from listeners is that they find value in going back and listening to some of those tips about several topics from a year or more ago. And we're working to bring you a variety of topics that will be of interest no matter your connection to the farm and the ag industry. And remember, you can get more info by simply following Farm in the Countryside on Facebook as well. You can also follow our daily features, American Countryside, on many local radio stations. And we're also at AmericanCountryside.com and American Countryside on Facebook, too. And don't forget, we're posting ideas for revitalizing rural and agricultural America at TotalTownMakeover.com. If you go under the Resources tab there, you'll find many of our TV, radio, and podcast features that will give you ideas for where you live. And you can follow Total Town Makeover on Facebook as well. I appreciate you listening. I'm Andrew McCray. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.